So much hype this afternoon for this oh, podcast. Fantastic. Let me just say, that song was fantastic. Oh, it's excellent. I think we should just keep playing it. We just have it in the background on repeat for an hour and a half. <laughs> just have um, low volume. Yeah, that'd be funny. But we're back in studio, back from Paris. Yeah, welcome home. Show number 17. We got a good one today coming up for you with uh, the doctor, Jason Richardson. Dr. Jason Richardson, who's a doctor of psychology, the live broadcast commentator for the World Cups, and he's also a Pan Am gold medalist and a top rider in his day. He was a really good double-A pro, so we got lots to talk about with him. He's a, he's a prominent guy in the industry. He is. He was back then. He stayed in it, and it's going to be really interesting to hear some of his things. I'm kind of, like you said, curious about his psychology stuff because we've talked about on the show how yeah, we've mental talked a lot. the sport is, yep. so that'll be yep. really interesting to hear his side of things. Yeah, um, obviously we work on it a lot, and uh, um, we've talked to a lot of other athletes that work with it, so it'll be really cool to actually talk to a psychologist on here. I'm looking forward to it. I still haven't messaged Alex, our psychologist, since our last show, so this is going to be my first step in here. Alex! <laughs> working on my uh, mental step, so. <laughs> um, Pro Gate Europe, winning starts the Great Gate. Neat Keeman had a great gate both days on his Pro Gate Europe. So buy a Pro Gate Europe, guys. You can get like Neat Keeman to win two World Cups, four in a row. Holy Un- shit. Unbelievable. No one's listening to our podcast. Stop Neek. Where's the Neek Stopper? Where's the Neek Stopper? I can't. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Like, I know. First of all, yeah, Pro Gate. I wish I was there. That gate looked nice and fast. Dude, it was fast. I didn't do a gate, obviously, but it was fast. And guys <sighs> told me it was fast. And I just, the first thing I thought of was James would be so <laughs> pumped. <laughs> oh, I wish I was there to ride that one. That would have been good. Um, yeah, gate looked fast. Track looked good. It looked really good, yeah. How was your trip? Let's talk about you first, okay? Oh, what a trip it was. Yeah, how was the broadcasting gig? Yeah, it was cool. So it was a quick trip, really, because I flew in, I got in Thursday morning, and I flew back Monday morning. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it was really fun. Um, It was, first of all, it was super nice to be back at a race again, just see everyone. Haven't seen friends in like a year. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so cool, like, BMX community is so small, I hadn't seen people in a year, but then you talk to everyone and catch up, and it's like, it's been a weekend. Or it's like I've been a week or whatever, you yeah, know? Yeah. yeah. So that was really special. To, uh, cool. So many people. I talked to so many people and everything. A lot of listeners of the show. Did they, did they talk to you about it? A lot of listeners of the show, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's and cool. Obviously people asking how I was and everything. That was really cool to catch up. Yeah. Um, it's good, the, that people, good that people could hear that from your side of things. Because yeah. I'm sure everybody they only hear from like exactly. people asking us who are, yeah. yeah. So, that's so cool. that was really cool. Thanks for everyone who's asking. And it was great to catch up with so many friends. Um, the gig I had, seriously, I, got the, I had the best job in BMX really? Live and the UCI. So, <laughs> didn't have to do anything for the practice day. Just hung out and yeah. watched practice, hung out with everyone. Nice. Um, nice. And then, so basically what they do for my job is they give you the TV schedule and they give me like four, um, five-minute segments throughout the TV broadcast. Okay. And so it's my job, so I get the four, and then it's my job to talk to the riders and get them to, or talk to them and ask if they can want to come on at certain times. Mm-hmm. And then after, it's kind of tricky because, for instance... Some of the segments are before like the elite women's round. Some are before the elite men's round. So then I have to, I have to schedule like a woman here, obviously, because the guy's not going to do it before his round and vice yeah, versa. Sure. Yeah. So it's up to me to do. And like the first day um, on Saturday, I had it all sorted. I was really nervous. I was really nervous, yeah. Because it's not an easy thing to do. And obviously, let's be real, I'm not curing cancer here. But at the same time, you have a responsibility to the industry and BMX world to do a good job. Yeah, if you have it, no matter what your job is, do your job right. Exactly. Did, yeah. Exactly. Um, so, so I was really nervous. So the night before, I or practiced it, I talked to some riders that they'd be interested in doing it. Then I did my research, went on BMX results, looked at past results, looked at standings, had nice. my little notepad, made questions for all the riders. 
And then I talked to them and had it all scheduled. And I was like, okay, I can relax. Then right before racing, they, they, uh, they canceled the, because two riders, I guess, dropped out after practice for the men on Saturday. Okay. So that means there's no 30 seconds. So the whole TV schedule Ooh. changed. Oh. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. So then I had to go back and reschedule the riders and stuff. But it was cool. Um, all the riders were really good. I made, okay. I did, uh, Lauren and Connor were the first two people I interviewed. Yeah. Um, and obviously they were good people to interview. Connor's first race back and Lauren's been doing well, but also two people I'm comfortable with because I want to start with two people I know well. So it was easy, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, that must've been nice. Did, yeah. so was it easier after you got the first one or two? Oh yeah. I was so nervous for the okay. one with Lauren. I was really nervous and Connor, I was still nervous. Then after that, I kind of got into it got into and it was a bit easier. Bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's still stressful cause you got to like, you know what time your segment's coming. And you got to see them on the track. You got to kind of corral them and flag them down. Okay, look in ten minutes, and you got to make sure like you're constantly looking at the clock and getting the rider in time. And the camera guy comes <laughs> over. Then I had a headset to call if I need to call the camera guy over. Okay. But usually they were they were always good about being there and stuff. So like trying to coordinate it all was the most stressful part. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. yeah, I noticed you had the headset on the first day, but then you take it off the second day. Yeah, I just took it off for the interviews. Yeah, that's good. Because yeah. originally they had the headset. Well, first of all, to communicate with everyone mm-hmm. in the UCI and BMX Live, um, and then. Also, because they were going to count me in via oh, the mic, okay, okay. but then I had like my own TV manager guy with me counting me in and telling me when to like cut it and stuff. <laughs> Is so in the background, was he going like three? Yeah, two. he's going three, two, one. Uh, yeah. And then like when it's time to wrap up, he's like waving his arms behind the guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, but it was good. Yeah, okay. it was good. Uh, good experience. It was cool. Well, props um, to you. You did a really good job. Yeah, thanks. You it was it? really good. Yeah, I watched Locked them all. It? I was honestly, the first day, I was just waiting for those to come on. Because like the first round's okay. Everybody was through. I was yeah, like, okay, yeah. where's Tori's part? Yeah, yeah. They did really good. Like, yeah, thanks. It's easy to listen to. The questions yeah. weren't boring. They were actually like, ins- like kind of about the riders. Not yeah. just about like, oh, how's sprints going? How's training? It was yeah. like, okay, what's new? What's going on? That kind of thing. I tried to yeah. make it personal for each rider. So for instance, Sakaki Barras, when I did them, mm-hmm. I like tried to ask about their kind of dynamic as siblings and traveling. Mm-hmm. Connor asked about his injury coming back and how his motivation is now after, you know, being so successful. Yeah. I tried to make it like not just about the race, but about them personally and kind of their journey. Because let's be real, when we watch other sports, we want to hear more of that than, oh, how was the triple? Like, yeah, no one exactly. cares, you know? No, I can watch that on TV. I want to hear about them, the stuff Insight. we don't know. Yeah, so Connor, we don't yeah. know about his injury, soccer bar. Exactly. I don't know what it's like to have his sister racing at a yeah. top level. Yeah, so I tried to give some insight, which was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I, one thing I learned, first of all, a couple things. <laughs> they, everything, so I had to go to a meeting. Everyone with UCI and BMX Live, like in the TV crew, met before racing and make sure everything was dialed and whatever. Yeah. Everything's planned to the second. Really? Like, I'm talking it's, like it's well yeah, It has to be. Mm-hmm. And I learned if they go overtime, for every minute they go over the broadcast, they have to pick quite a bit of money. Really? So Max told me, yeah. So, you know, sometimes, like, after the main, they're, like, trying to hurry people for the flower ceremony and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, usually we think, like, oh, who cares, whatever. It's it's not, like, who cares. Really? Like, we, I thought it was just, to, yeah, YouTube. They yeah, just give it but apparently, warm, like, yeah. they need to, like, it needs to be on time. Huh, okay. And so I learned that. Um, they do sure. a good job. Like, everything's to the T, planned down to every tiny detail. Okay. It's pretty impressive, as opposed to, like, which way the camera guys walk and, like, everything's yeah. dialed. That's interesting, but but the time thing, because what about crashes? In our sport, we have That's what moments. they said, and they try have to try and make it up. Wow, okay, interesting. Huh. And they kind of got a plan for that and try and make it up. Yeah, it's okay. tough. Yeah. Um, and the UCI, they really care about BMX. Good, okay. So, you know, often, like, we all do it. We all complain about some stuff yeah, UCI's done or whatever. But to be honest, they're all huge fans of the sport, and they mm-hmm. all really care about it. 
That's really cool. It's really cool. Yeah, like, sometimes when you, we talk about the things that they take away from our sport that we yeah. can keep them cool, we kind I kind of feel like yeah. they don't give a shit. But, but they really, honestly, they like I can tell you from being firsthand kind of behind the scenes, and that was one of the coolest things was seeing how the races run and the dynamic with the workers and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they really care about the sport, and that was that was really cool to see. I really liked that. And that's one of the main reasons they had Willers and then now me doing it was because they want to build a following for the sport, like from the riders, and they yeah. and they know that likely the riders are going to be excited to do it with kind of another rider or peer, you know, yeah, rather than, think so. yeah. So they're trying to do that to try and grow the sport. And, um, it was a really positive experience. And that's like, great. Yeah. Like I said, you did a really good job. Yeah, so thanks. I'm yeah, glad they great. brought you on. Like it's much better. They have riders. Like you yeah. Said. Yeah. yeah I, Cause obviously all of us riders feel more comfortable talking to another yeah. rider or peer or whatever. Yeah. If they do care about the sport, I'm really curious why they keep dropping down the career number situation. Well, how does that affect them? Oh, do you they think? said, because, uh, they briefly mentioned it to me. I think Did it's they? something like... Because I don't see why they yeah. can't always just have top 50 at least have career numbers. In motocross, yeah, even 250, 450, as long as you're in that top group, you can have a career number. I'll bring it up with the next corporate You bring meeting. it up. Bring it up. <laughs> I'll bring it up with corporate. There obviously is a reason, but it's yeah, just yeah, you know, the actual yeah. reason. But so. it's not because they don't... Like, they, they, they obviously care. really like BMX, yeah. Cool. So that was pretty cool. That was one of the coolest things to see. That's good. Okay. Yeah, right yeah, on. one of the coolest things. So you, you had an eventful weekend too. Well, I had an eventful weekend of watching you guys, but I was also waiting to get surgery the whole time. And I was supposed to get surgery on Saturday and got had to fast all night and then got told at like 9 a.m. that, oh, yeah, you, it's not today. Like, wait till tomorrow. That's so brutal. Oh, so that was annoying. So I could finally eat again, but then did the same thing the next day, told it, it was until Monday. So finally got surgery yesterday. How'd it go? Uh, all went fine from what I know. I didn't really, to be honest, I didn't really talk to many people. Like, they kind of just did their thing and said, here you go, off on your way. <laughs> Bingo, bango, bongo. Yeah, yeah, it was really quick. So I just been talking to our other physio and stuff just about like um, just what to do now and how fast I can start riding again and blah, blah, blah. So uh, hopefully it actually, because the whole point, the reason why I got it was to hopefully get back on the bike sooner. Yeah. So hopefully it does that. Usually surgery so. enhances the recovery because the pin holds it in place. Yeah. As it long as it's a super major the one. Problem was the guy was like, yeah, it's like you probably won't heal unless you put it in a cast. And I was like, well, I don't have time for a cast. He's like, well, then we can pin it. I was like, okay. Done deal. Let's go. Yeah, so, generally it's better. Like collarbones, those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you might, when the swelling and pain goes down, you might be able to start riding. Yeah. Or at least like doing stuff sooner. Yeah, exactly. I've been talking to Tara. Uh, she works with our mountain bike guys, girls. Guys, physio, girls. yeah, physio yeah. for mountain bike team. And she was saying they've had some of the same situations and it's common. Um, yeah, exactly. So she's been dealing with it. And she said kind of a time frame when I can start riding, and then just suggested I get like a brace or something if I want to hop on early. Blah blah blah. Yeah. So everything's fine. Just gotta wait now. So we can start pushing it. Excited. Yeah, yeah. that's good. It's on the mend. So, yeah. At least now you you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I was waiting like that whole last week to get the surgery, and I was like, I knew it was going to set me back a bit to then start working better. So, it's like just waiting to get it yeah. done so I could start healing it again. So, besides that, what did you think of the racing? It was good. Yeah, it was really good. good. Yeah, that yeah. racing as well. It was really exciting. Romain, once again, dude, he's so fast in Paris. Every time they go there, his lap times were incredible. Dude, his first straights, it was a pleasure to watch, I, honestly. I, I was literally watching the lap times every time just to see who was comparing, blah, blah, blah. And it looked like he wasn't even trying down the last straightaway and like out of the second turn. And he was smoking him. Yeah, dude, he was oh, so yeah. fast. Like a lot of sometimes he wasn't even leading at the first jump, but his pull after the first jump, the turn. That was where it came Unbelievable, in. Unbelievable, yeah. yeah. Same yeah. with Nick. Like, Nick destroyed yeah, him. Yeah, Nick was obviously, right yeah. Jump. Outstanding, yeah. So him and... Romain and Nick had a really good battle, especially the first day down the first straight. Yeah. That yeah. was tight. I thought, honestly, for a second, I thought Romain had it. I thought he did too. And yeah. then right before the trip, I was like, damn, yeah, Nick just pulled it right in. I'm ha- Obviously, I'm happy for Nick. He's a good friend of ours, and yeah. he wrote outstanding. But it would have been really cool to see Romain win his first World Cup in Paris. I, I feel so like, like that. I yeah. feel like he's going to eventually. 
One of these days he's going to. Yeah, I want days. him to so bad. I do too. As a friend, you just want to see yeah, him. Yeah, I know. And Joris was solid too. Rode really consistent. I, I, I don't see think him. He yeah. seemed like he wasn't. He was, wasn't having his normal good weekend. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think Romaine and Neek had some pull on him, but um, he rode outstanding. Yeah, he made it work. Yeah, like, he did. even he if he really wasn't well. just like the first guy, like he normally is, he got in there. And got obviously, out of the he was, obviously, he was super fast. <laughs> I know. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. When you talk about someone like yeah, Joris, yeah, it's like yeah. he's either winning or he's like top three or four, which is like mm-hmm. for anybody else that would be amazing. But you just know him to be up front. So. And dude, Allen cannot buy. A World Cup win. Oh, Al, I feel for you. Alan Willoughby can oh, no. one. Oh. She, okay, so she her first straights on the video too looked dominant. Horse. It was absolutely dominant. Like Horse. both days in a row, like she yep. was a clear leader into the turn. But then that track, it's like so technical. It just provided opportunity for people to come back. And yeah, Laura had a. They had man, at least had good battles both days for the wins and just lost both days. Yeah. yeah. The day two, well, day one was a really good race with her and Laura. Super exciting. But day two. Her the battle with Manon and Elise was unreal. They were going back and forth yeah, the was, whole lap. I was watching Elise and Laura going to the first turn. And yeah. I don't even know where Manon came from. And all of a sudden, she's leading another turn. That was yeah. sick. Yeah. I, did, I thought she was like behind Laura. And then, yeah, she's like high-load both yeah. of them or somehow got underneath her. Yeah. But, it seemed like Al was going to pass her again. Yeah, she was all times, over her. She just couldn't times. get around her. Like, into the second turn, into the last turn. Al, Al's going to get one one of these times. Oh, yeah. Like, she's gonna, she might she's, win the world. Yeah, that could very well happen. Um, and we noted here Jesse Smith too, dude. Yeah. Okay. So she's that's the first time I met really Jesse, and I met her in yeah I met her in Paris for the first time. I think okay. super nice, super cool, cool. Listener of the show, nice. That's what I like to hear. So good on the track. It's incredible. I haven't seen her like it seems like she's maybe struggled with the first jump a few times. That's why I was really confused. The first day she was rolling, and I was like, what is she doing? Yeah. She's one of the best girls out here on her bike. And I saw her roll it and still make it through a couple of the rounds, and I was like, okay. First round, she rolled the first jump, was way behind, and still almost made it through top four. <laughs> I was like, unreal. <laughs> like, all you gotta do is jump the jump, and you'll be in, like, Seriously, like her, what happened, you'll be in the main. Her style, positioning on the bike, her flow is unreal. She's yeah. so good. I think she could be one of the next um, top women, and she, look, she jumped the first jump, the next thing got fourth. Fourth, right? Yeah. Yeah, fourth. Incredible. Almost got to put it. That yeah. just shows like her and there was another girl, a Swiss chick. Um, I could tell just because she had the black junior yeah. plate on that they were both like their style, their riding the bike was incredible. Yep. And it just showed that they got good results. And But yeah, I just wanted to give her a shout out because wow, she's good. And I hope she keeps working on the first jump because there's honestly no reason for her. I know it's easy to say, but there's no reason for her to be scared of it because she's so good on the bike. Yeah. Yeah. And I was so bummed. I was frustrated for her watching her roll the first jump. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> Just jump it. It's like the easiest jump on the track. <laughs> You'll be top five like every time. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that for us, it seems like when people like are new to Supercross or don't do it often, it's the easiest jump for us because we know we have the most speed. Like it's the smallest jump. You know, know. it's going to be pretty much the same every time. And she's young though. Yeah, too. but that's what I'm saying. For somebody new for it, yeah. you go down a big hill and all of a sudden there's like a huge lip in your face. Sometimes it's yep. a little nerve wracking. Is she first year or second year junior? Uh, I think second. Yeah, actually. she's my pick to win the world. Yeah. I hope she wins the world. She's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, she's super cool. That's just like a show, like just shows how much the girls class, like we talked about, the skill level of the younger girls yeah. coming up are doing so well. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, that was really cool to see. Another thing I noticed, so obviously when we race and stuff, we're so yeah. focused on what we're doing. We don't think about crashes and that kind of stuff really. And I've never raced with fear of like the hill or crashing or anything. Mm-hmm. But dude, holy shit. At this point, obviously at this race, I was just watching and being a commentator and fan or whatever. Yeah. Dude. The crashes are gnarly. Yeah. Like, I ne- <laughs> like, I've always known that, but I've never really, like, taken that all in because we're always so focused, like I said, on racing. You got your own but, shit to worry oh about. Oh, my God. Yeah. Dude, there's just one crash. <laughs> yeah. There's just one crash in the first round of the men's or LCQ or something. 
the dude in first did a complete front flip into the last turn. The UCI guy. Dude, he bonked and went nose manual, nose manual, and he had so much time to think about it. Oh my god. And, and then he, he, he did a complete front flip, landed on his shoulders, the guy behind him did the same thing. Ran in, the and then the other guy him, ran into him. And then him. fourth and fifth just pedaled around. <laughs> and I was just like, jaw what dropped. <laughs> that was incredible. Oh, oh my god. god. And it's just like, we're so desensitized to it. Like, someone crashed, okay, get him on spine board, get him off, alright, next lap. It's incredible. Dude, we're so used to it, it's insane. And because half the time, let's be real, we have some tough people in our sport, they hop up and just hobble out. I saw um, Nadia's post. She posted a, a thing, like I saw her crash and she like got like hobbled Oh off. yeah, I didn't see her crash, but I saw her she, hobbling like, off. Yeah. Like fractured her pelvis or something. Holy shit. That and was like, like first round Saturday maybe, right? Early, early okay. Saturday, I think. You think so? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, yeah, it's crazy. You're right. It's crazy how much it's like, all right, next round, here we go. But dude, we're so desensitized to it. People get spine boarded off. We're just like, oh, whatever. Yeah, it's the sport. Oh, let's go. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, what we sign up for? What the hell do you think people think we're doing out there? It's, we don't go there to do that. <sighs> My God. Yeah. In saying that though, okay, this is the first time we've had this and we had that, uh, there was a medical center there by the looks of it. They had a mobile medical unit. It was from the MXGPs. Did they? they really? Straight up. So I didn't it. Yeah, so it was in the back. And I know this because I heard people say they got x-rayed there. Hmm. And that's how they knew. And then they went to the hospital. So that is awesome. Wow, I didn't know that. But that's, yeah. that's badass. Yeah, and we I had saw, that in Abbotsford too, right? Hey? Yeah, we had a huge one. Yeah. That was really good. They could actually do surgery there. It's fucking gnarly. That was incredible, yeah. 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 I don't know if this one was that high tech, but I know it was just on the back. It said MXGP and they were saying that it's from the MXGP. Honestly, we should have it every race. It's probably super expensive, but it's, yeah. My God. To be honest, we talk about this. I got, I do get scared of one thing and that's being in Argentina. Yes. And having injuries, like big crashes there. I've thought of that over the years and especially with Alex's recent injury, I was thinking like, thank God he was in Holland where they have phenomenal medical care and facilities because that happens in Santiago del Estero. Yeah, so Not only yeah. can your family, like, it takes them two days to get there, but it's like... I don't think you have the same resources Holy shit, there, no. no way. Like, yeah. who knows, sounds bad, but who knows what kind of doctor or hospital you're going to get there. It's, it's not enough. a good place. It's fair, it's yeah. It's very poor. Like, that's and that's, that's just being honest. Like, yeah. it's scary to think about. That's where, you, unfortunately, you want that kind of medical unit there, like, the right people. Yeah, because so. I think I heard Natalia or Alfredo, or they went to the hospital a few years ago, and I heard not good things about it. Really? No. Apparently it was like blood on the walls or some shit and like mm. gnarly yeah that's not nice <laughs> oh boy yeah. but they have mxgps down there so i would think they have they got a moto gp like they have you they have the resources away. to yeah, get yeah. this stuff yeah um another topic quick one i also saw this online x-ray they had something x-raying the bikes oh they did i saw yeah. that yeah, so yeah, at yeah. first i thought it was after the first day i was like oh is that the um what's it called anti-doping people like putting a gps around their bike so they could cool down i was like no that's can't be it and then I saw the That'd picture. I know that's what I was thinking, <laughs> but I was like, you could still ride away. <laughs> but then I was, I saw the post, and it was yeah, X-raying the bikes. Yeah, that yeah. was high tech. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's really needed. I didn't in see sport, anyone doing that in our sport. It's not gonna help. You still gotta get around no, the track, yeah, or whatever. But, yeah. I thought that was pretty interesting. I know. So. Got a rant or not? Um, not yet. Maybe we'll think of one by the end. Yeah, we'll, we'll think of one by the end, maybe. But no, not yet. So. All right, let's get in with Jay Rich. All right, James, on the line we got. Doctor of Psychology, Pan Am Games gold medalist, BMX commentator at the World Cups, Dr. Jason Richardson. What's up, Jason? What's up, guys? How's it going? How's Just it? Me on the chatter. How's the trip? Well. How's the trip home? I'm still. I'm, I'm still off. You're still what? <laughs> I'm still on the trip. You're still on the trip. Why'd you leave on Tuesday? I'm still. I had to go to Scotland for a little little business meeting. Oh right, you told me about that. How'd it go? How was it? It was good. It was good. Is that is on the D low? Can we hear the details? So I'm excited. I'll, I'll be launching something probably November. 
October, December time. Big project. Right on. We got some deets there. All right. Yeah, it was a public speaking engagement, right? No, actually, that wasn't. It was. Uh, it's for. It's for some. It's for another project that I'm doing. But oh. that might. It might turn into a public. Uh, another speaking gig as well. <laughs> Top secret, James. <laughs> Top secret. <laughs> um, how was the weekend commentating? How was the weekend? The weekend commentating was good. As you can hear, my voice is um, been used quite a bit this weekend. But racing was amazing. Nothing short of amazing. Um, and yeah, I always enjoy going to the going to the BMX and talking about what I see on camera. Yeah, what did you think of the racing? We were just talking about it before you came on, but I thought the racing was so exciting. Yeah, I thought it was really good too, and the atmosphere was great. Great. They they always historically, even when I was racing, France was always a great place to go race. So super fans, they they understand the aspect of making it a show. Um, they kept the crowd engaged the whole time, even between um, between qualifiers with giveaways and, uh, and you know what and one thing out Europe in general is that the fans stay for the main event they do like, yeah granted granted that was a race you know that was essentially a pro race like the main event but even even when I would race like um, you know a, a, like a French national or European round or whatever like yeah like they stayed for the main event that was even back then so I, I don't suspect much is different yeah. No, yeah, because you guys raced quite a bit in France when you raced too, right? Or once a year or so? I would. I actually got my Avalhoy as much as I could when I raced. I mean, pretty much any time I got a chance to go out of the country to race, I did. Uh, probably to the detriment of some things in my career, but actually I would say no. Because um, in the long game, I think that actually helped out in the long run, as, as evidenced by the fact that I'm still... Um, that I'm still involved in the sport, commentating at this level, but it, uh, in Europe, kind of know me, or at least their parents, <laughs> the parents of racers know me from back in the day, but I rode for a French team for several years, I was Trenty H for several years, so I would go to France a lot. That's yeah, awesome. and like you said, they always have such a good fan base there, like they just love BMX. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. This is my uh, my first weekend in a while actually watching the, the full broadcast, Jason, and Kudos to you and you guys for doing a really good job, I must say. That was great. Um, I've still noticed we have well, like a lot you know, of... Thank you, James. And, you know, just so you know, our sole purpose when we're up there, when we're, you know, when we're announcing the races is, is to receive minimal complaints from David Graff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, classic. You hear that, David? <laughs> Somewhere in Switzerland, he's chuckling listening to this. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I would like to actually have a round table with that guy. Um, He's a good combo. But I appreciate his passion. I appreciate his passion and I appreciate his voicing of opinion for sure. Yeah. So what are, your, what are um, you some th of the things he's, he speaks about he just doesn't know? That's fair. Like what? Um, well, like the research uh, aspect one to the rules that we have placed on us by not only production but but the people that purchase that production after the fact um the other piece is it is you know part of it, it it's a TV, tv show was created after the fact at some events not all of them um and then 
you know, honestly, for the for the webcast, uh, you know, I I believe we do mention bike setup, but I believe we do mention you know that other riders are doing well or you know kind of a surprise to come on for, but to to go speak to them and kind of set up those those interviews isn't always um, or I just say organized but isn't always as, as feasible as possible uh, once you start working, once you get on the ground. Well, you were there uh, running around uh, asking for an interview <laughs> during, the, during, during the broadcast. So, uh, so yeah, we, we do our best to, to get our research on and stuff. And the other thing is, like, we're on, we're on air, air. We're streaming for five hours. So we also understand, like, you know, there's also ROI, like, I, I could talk for five hours. I could talk all day. I think everyone knows <laughs> when, when there's no racing action going on. I, I recognize that some people like are not watching. So that's the other piece. It's like <laughs> you do all that work. And it's like, all right, you know, so it's kind of weird to like, if you're t- tuning in and, and you see a, you know, a shot of a berm or just a trap talking about this dude that raced an hour ago did amazing that's a cool conversation but to the person watching it there's no context there so we are pros um despite what he might think um what kind of restrictions do you guys have for for that kind of thing during the broadcast i'm sorry what you say what kind of restrictions do you guys have for the broadcast because you mentioned you're restricted to kind of what you can do and everything restrictions so when i first started when i first started doing the broadcast um I think it was Manchester, like pre-Olympic year, uh, Rio, maybe two years before that. I don't know, fifteen or sixteen. Yeah. Um, I remember there was very specific things about not mentioning certain um, sponsors or stuff like that, and it wasn't because of like um, the rules, because like UCI or, or BMX Live didn't want to promote the riders. It was because of the way that the packaged TV show would be sold at the time. And then there's also like, you know, just contract flows. Um, there's this thing called undue process, undue prominence, unprominence. And that is when yeah, you give yeah undue prominence to a brand or someone that uh, that's not necessarily part of the production. If that makes sense. Okay. So, yeah, I think so there's like weird rules. I didn't, I didn't get into it too deeply. I mean, you know, they were just like, don't mention that. Yeah. Don't try not to mention that. What about? <laughs> so I was like, okay. What about like you know some sports, for instance, in an intermission between game or like say for instance at a hockey or football game, in the intermission they might discuss some guy coming back from injury or some athlete like going through something. Have you guys thought about doing something like that, or is that under the restriction also? Well, see, no, we we. We have, and here's the thing: we do, we do. Okay. I talk about the walk behind the gate. Yeah. Lane choice. We talk about. We talk about a lot of. Dude, we are there five hours. It's a grind. That's a grind. All kinds of stuff. It's just the thing is when people like, like when when someone tunes in and they're not hearing what they would expect or want, (laughs) doesn't mean we didn't do it. We just didn't do it. The forty-five minute or three-hour portion they're doing it, we might have. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's the, the, you know. And, and don't get me wrong. Like, it'd be awesome to do. Okay, like the first half of the show is like all rider stories, and then the sec or the first third, and then the second third would be, uh, um, you know, tech stuff, and then the final bit would be strategy. Don't get me wrong. Like, I we've all like it's all a part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
the, the other thing people have to understand is like, like, be really candid and transparent. I can barely justify doing this <laughs> from a financial perspective. Like, you know, what I mean, like, <laughs> like, uh, like we're we're all doing it. Cause it's not like you know, oh yeah, we're getting paid, you know, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars, you know, to do yeah, yeah, movie. you know, like this yeah. is. You know, I mean, if you've noticed, if you watch the commercials, there are three sponsors. Yeah. Okay, there's yeah. Brock Eight, there's Tioga, there's um, I'm forgetting one. There's Baku Media Center, uh, so there's four, and then there's another brand, and blank. Um, I know the Tioga commercial because it's forever long. Oh, and BMX Racing Group, right? Chase. Yeah. So that's it. That's yeah. it, and all that other stuff. It's time and money and man hours because someone's editing that footage. Someone's putting yeah. that stuff together. Someone's like doing the groundwork. Like that replay machine, we were stoked when we got that replay machine. Why did we get a rush to replay machine? I say machine because I like I didn't know before I was behind the, the mic or behind the camera. Like I didn't know that replays were like, an, there is an machine, something called a TriCaster. I don't know what that is, but apparently <laughs> crazy expensive and apparently you need somebody to work it and apparently you know what I mean like all of that stuff adds up when you put it on a performa a spreadsheet and a budget and then it kind of like the cost goes exponentially and by the way like you know where did dance comp go from last year and where did all the other sponsors go so it's not like you know it, it so there's a lot of stuff that you know that's talked about that um well the company the dough. Yeah. like so when he says do your homework it's like dude uh, homework's done. Like you ride your rollers, eights, and get gates starts, and let me talk about the MX race. Go. Okay. So this might be to do with the uh, financial side of things, but I, I think what you're saying too, I think what would be great is having someone like you. Tori was there. How he's doing the interviews with the riders. It's. I think you guys need that that extra somebody to be on the floor talking because, like you said, you guys are in the booth the entire day. If you had that other helper broadcaster down on the floor, like they kind of have in motocross, they could be getting the details of what's going on with the riders during the day, not just what you guys get to see on the broadcast. Because what you guys get to see is pretty limited, I think. Oh, totally, totally. It would be rad to do that. Yeah. Um, but again, like I, I don't know, but I'm guessing that would be like an extra person, more <laughs> like another camera and yeah. another person following that person around. Yeah. We, we just don't have the money for that, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I shouldn't say they don't have the money for it, but I mean, like, I, I can say that you know they're they're working hard to make it work. Yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Yeah, that's what I was telling James before when or during our intro too. Like, one thing I learned is the UCI and BMX Live TV. Everyone works really hard, and everyone's a fan of BMX, and everything's planned, and everyone's trying to make the sport better um, and bigger. It's just it's a tough thing to do. Yeah, it is a tough thing. I mean, and, and let's, I mean, let, like, yeah, we can, we can move on. I was all, I almost got political, but <laughs> so like we were saying, the crowd in Paris is, is really good. Um, and I think a big part of that was because the French cup was the same weekend. So a lot of amateurs and stuff were there with their families and watching. Um, what do you think? Like, cause obviously there's some other world cups that haven't had good crowds and that kind of thing. What do you think is holding kind of us back from pulling from, maybe some general population or some more people in the area to come and watch. That's something I've always kind of wondered about. I think, I think in Europe, I think in Papendal they do a decent job. I don't know what happened in Manchester because Manchester has historically had a decent crowd. Um, this weekend it fell off. Or I mean, I should say this weekend, this 
this this seat this year. Um, I think the crowd fell off. Um, I, I think it just comes down to promotion uh, and timing. I know. I mean, think about it. Like even the Olympics, some events they like pay to have people in seats or they give tickets away so that the stands are full mm-hmm. um, or at least look full um, so so yeah it just comes down to um, <laughs> Dale and Christian will love this and Greg Romero it just comes down to incentivizing people to come uh, giving them a reason to be there uh, promote more free you know. product to give away yeah like races. I wonder like BMX <laughs> is so cool everyone that I for instance outside of BMX it, that, I, that I bring to a race so cool? loves it yeah, they love it, but then why can't we? Who's they? I don't. They, everyone, friends. <laughs> yeah, you know, like when I. The people who do it. The but, people who do it love it, but, but and even the people who do it don't love it that much because when there was a World Cup in Chula Vista, I mean they had it during an AVA BMX race and the AVA BMX, or excuse me, USA BMX would have the race kind of in like going on as well. I think they've done it both ways. They stopped doing the nighttime race because I think it was really expensive to have the lights. But I think, so don't quote, I mean, I'm saying that, but I, I just don't know. But that's what I heard. So take that with a grain of salt. But, um, but I mean, the crowd was sparse because there was people trying, you know, over at the traditional track, getting their own points and getting their own snaps on. And, and truth be told, you know, even when the main event was there, it was like they had to go back and get dinner and, um, you know, get get to the hotel and take Johnny to the indoor pool at the at the at the Hampton. <laughs> Straight up, I was. But like when I bring people, when I've had friends come out and watch, or people that um, never seen BMX and they see it, they think it's really cool. And yet we can't get anyone to come watch it really. But if you think about it, we've been like Jason said, he's in the booth for five hours. So you, if do you think it's just because like I'm at home sitting, it's too long. Like, I think so. I'm at yeah. home sitting and I'm doing stuff between the races because I'm getting bored sitting on the couch. Yeah. If you're at a race, you're sitting on an uncomfortable bleacher. For so hey, it's long, hard right? to sit there for that entire time. So yeah. maybe that's it. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it, it is cool. It it's, is cool. Yeah, the race. I don't know that it's that cool. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I'm just hey, look, dude. Like I've been in this game since I was five, man. We're talking like 1980, right? 1980, like last century. So, um, I, I, I love it. Okay, but <laughs> if you're not in it. It's 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 something else, and the other sports, from what I can tell, there's a connection to it. There's a connection to it. Yeah, maybe people can't relate to riding a BMX bike. Yeah. Nope. When do you hear about their family going out for a casual bike ride at the track versus somebody going out for a casual motocross <laughs> or dirt bike ride with their family? Yeah. You even hear more of that. But at the same time, though, if you catch people, like, get them watching at the right time, they're going to see the action. They're going to see how exciting the races but are. everyone who watches BMX the Olympics thinks it's so cool. Yeah. But once again, it's condensed into that moment where it's, like, it's run pretty quickly. Yeah. I, guess, I don't know. Yeah. Who's everyone? That's, that's, that's Okay. Everyone's, like, friends that we talk to outside like, of the I think, sport. I think they think it's cool, but I don't, I don't know if they think it's cool to the effect of, like, let's get into this. I want my... I want to try this. I want to put air in my tires and my bike now I want to um, I want to um, wear whatever Tori's wearing oh actually I don't because I only see him in a uniform and these weird slippers um, <laughs> you know what I mean so yeah so I just kind of whereas motocross or even mountain biking or the other sports I mean they just 
they have so many participants, right? Like I surf, I surf. And so, and and, and I I have boards and I have stuff, right? Like, Like I'm, but I don't surf, right? Like I'm a BMXer, but I own surfboards. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I have a mountain bike. I have um, I have a bas- I have a basketball court in my yard. I took out the BMX track to put in a basketball court. So, I mean, but these are all things that that uh, I'm just not only am aware of, but like I'm I'm like immediately I don't want to say kind of into, but like I have a connection to, like automatically. Whereas BMX, had I not, you know, gone to that skate park in Las Vegas with my brother, Desert Surf, and, you know, and then back home to New Jersey and raced EHT BMX because my brother was racing, like, I don't, I don't know that I would have a, I mean, I have a connection to it, and I love that I do. It's, it's really paved the way for a lot of things in my life, but, but it's, it's, it's hard for other people to have a connection to it. And trust me, in my neighborhood, like, I mean, well, you were in my neighborhood. We were sprinting together in my neighborhood. We yep. were two fools out there on a bike. So, <laughs> we, we probably looked so I, stupid to the other neighbors. <laughs> no, the neighbors are used to it. They were they used to see me doing it, too. They're like, why is Jason doing this again? <laughs> <laughs> Uphill, <laughs> downhill, flat? <laughs> but, um, you know, and they've been, and they, they kind of know of it because of me, right? I was the BMX guy in the neighborhood. And they'd see it on the Olympics and talk about how, you know, awesome it was and impressive it was. And then, poof, gone, right? And these yeah. people have money for whatever they want basically you know like but it's just not i don't i don't know why it's not on their radar and then by the way like it's hard to do bmx so um you know the nearest track for us was like 30 miles the nearest pump tracks still 25 minutes away um which is great but you know this is 50 miles from us um so yeah it's it's like it's like harder and harder to do. Whereas all these other sports, even hockey in Southern California is like easier to do. Like it's easier to get to. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I feel like we could talk about this for a while. Yeah. We'll move on though. We'll move on. So we also want to talk to you, Jason, besides the commentating stuff you do, you're also a doctor of psychology. That's, I would say your main job. Um, basically I guess what first got you into that career in that path? Um, breaking my leg. Really? Oh, really? Yeah, so, because I had an MBA, and then uh, kept on racing. <laughs> didn't, didn't, I mean, I don't think I used my business, I didn't say, I didn't, I didn't use my business degree for anything. I guess I'd say I used my business sense to, like, maybe invest in property and, and flip houses and stuff like that, but you didn't need much of a business degree for that. Um, but I never, like, used it, and so when I got hurt, you know, there was this question, like, am I going to retire or finish racing? Because I was, I was one of the older older guys in, in the class at the time. Um, but anyways, I came back to racing. I didn't, you know, I thought maybe, well, oh, well, maybe I'll, I'll, you know, get my contractor's license and go into the family business, bring that, my dad's a contractor, and see if I can, I can do contracting in Cali, or maybe I'll, you know, open a franchise. I was looking at tanning salons. I was looking at fitness places. I was looking at um, ice, you know, all kinds of stuff, frozen yogurt stuff. But none of that stuff was really... I actually came pretty close to buying a franchise, but, um, yeah, then on the, as I was on the mend, I started racing again. My third race, second or third race back, it was Albuquerque. Actually, I was, uh, I happened to be sitting next to a couple and they were coming back from some kind of conference or convention and they were psychologists and I started talking to them and, and I had worked with a sports psychologist, uh, throughout my career and, and realized like, Hmm, 
I could probably do this. <laughs> and then just thinking like, there's no inventory really. I'm not like count, you know, there's no employees necessarily. Um, I could talk, I could speak, I could talk, I could, I could definitely like hang a shingle and, and work with people individually. But the whole point was, you know, how I was thinking at the time on the airplane, it's like, man, like how many, how many pro athletes like have this, I would have the, that level of degree and be able to plug themselves into working with other athletes at a high level. And so that was the whole deal was to, to get, to get my degree and get degreed as fast as possible. Cause I was, again, no spring chicken. Um, and, and start working, start working with people at a high level. Good for you. That's a lot of school. Yeah. <laughs> what do you? So obviously, you work as a sports psychologist and a clinical psychologist. What do you like about it? Like, what do you like helping people, or you know, is there something specific about it you like? Um, you know, it's interesting. When I so I, I went, I went the clinical route because there is a sports psychology route you can go, like specific to sports psychology. But I didn't do that. Um, because it would require me to, because the you know the programs were far, <laughs> like I had to like move and I'd already owned a home and had a family, you know, like I was like living where I was living. We were kind of planted by creative roots where I was. Um, so I went the clinical route, and also because it was quicker. Um, so I, I wanted to fast track. You know, I had two years left on my horror contract when I went back to school. So, <laughs> so it was like kind of like a race, like before I retired, whenever that was. And I didn't know when that was going to be, but I obviously knew the end was coming sooner or later in my 30s. So um, so as I was getting my hours to get licensed, I was working. You know, they don't they don't just throw you in there with the charges of the Padres. <laughs> so I was, I was doing clinical work, like hardcore clinical work. Um, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia—you know, like gnarly stuff. Like, and, you know, I was on I was on Indian Reservation, Southern Indian Health Council. I was, uh, um, or excuse me, Native American Reservation, but they say Southern Indian Health Council, so I figured I could say Indian. Um, and then, uh, you know, working at uh, what was it, uh, San Diego Center for Children, like getting my hours. So pretty hardcore places where you know severe cases of. Of, of all those things I've mentioned. So it really sharpened me up as far as like just human behavior and, and psychology, but human behavior. Um, and it showed me the extremes of, of, of what, not only what people deal with, but, but, but mental illness. So I'm glad I did that because plugging myself back into the sports side, because I had not only worked it as an athlete when I was working with a sports psychologist, it was, it was, you know, I was able to kind of, re-engineer my success and failure and then also kind of like get at some of the stuff you know as a kid growing up making money traveling the world like like that's a pretty gnarly experience right if you think about it um and what it's like to like just be a person growing up doing this thing right so um so there's a lot of performance aspects that are specific to sport yeah but at the same time like i can't deny that there's there's um you know, there's like a whole person in there, like, you know, dealing with his dog that died or dealing, yeah. actually dealing with some anxiety or dealing with depression, like from a clinical perspective. So, um, so when you ask me my favorite part is it's really like, it, yeah, the wins and the success are great, but really my favorite part is like helping anyone really, you know, kind of gain these, these bigger, these bigger lessons and these bigger tools and these bigger insights that will help them, um, you know, far beyond our work, 
whether it's for a year or two years or a few months. Like I'm confident when I work with somebody, like they're going to leave with something that's going to pay off so much further in the long run that, um, that's, that's my favorite part is like, 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 like knowing that like that person's going to come back, you know, after they're done racing or even they're done, whatever they've graduated high school or college or whatever it is. And just be like, you know what you said, blah, blah, blah. And I did that. And it happened to me literally this, um, this weekend where, where somebody, you know, kind of said something like, yeah, I did what I did what you said. And, oh my gosh, it totally helped me out. And, because I, I coached this uh, professional group as well. And and the guy was going on stage at the uh, Edinburgh, Edinburgh Lectures, which is a huge thing in Scotland. And he went on stage, like, yeah, I got nervous, and I did that I did, did that visualization and grounding technique. And he's like, that's that's what you, he's like, I did that. I remember doing that with you, and I did just that. It, was, it went perfectly. And so it's those kinds of things, like those are the payoffs that, that I like. I think those are my favorite things. Man, that's so cool. Because I, I mean, I see a clinical psychologist, psychologist for anxiety and depression stuff and it's helped change my life and I've learned so much about myself and everything and so for you like firsthand dealing with um or seeing people with anxiety depression schizophrenia or a variety of mental illness must be very eye-opening for you oh it's totally eye-opening um fascinating and then also too like I I'm not the right guy for everything right like I was getting my hours so as you're getting your hours you're like doing the rounds, so to speak. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, it definitely, definitely eye-opening and, and it's pretty interesting. Oh, I got to do a PSA right now. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, well, cause it just hit me as I was talking about this. So the whole drug thing, it, it like, it, it's totally, totally, like probably the scariest thing if it like when I think about it now after seeing what I've seen like it, it is so scary you mean so taking taking it, meds because I mean, yeah, I mean, the thing is you don't know what cork you're gonna pop when you decide to like put any kind put you know some foreign substance in your mm. body so just just that's my PSA because it can <laughs> unleash something that like not only flips your life upside down but like ruins families and i mean like wrecks them financially emotionally the whole relationship wise so um and i don't care i don't care what how rich you are i don't care how poor you are i don't care how athletic you are i don't care i mean it just wrecks it so that's my psa that's fair yeah that's fair yeah. on the sports side of things jason is there some like a common theme you've noticed with athletes that you've been able to help them with like some kind of specific problem that is common um i think the most common one is, is basic is fear um and and unfortunately okay. with racing um having gone the direction it's gone which is faster and bigger uh, or just faster um i'm not even gonna blame the big part but but the faster yeah the injuries are seem to be a little bit more um severe so so I think the big one is fear. Um, and there's like, so that's like physical injury, right? But then there's, mm -hmm. there's fear of what people are going to think of them. There's fear of letting people down. There's fear of not performing. So the biggest thing is fear in general. Yeah. Uh, then after that, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, the other areas and aspects of life that 
I'm going to use air quotes here, we think are getting in the way of what we want to do. Yeah. I mean, I started working as a sports psychologist probably, I think, five years ago or so. One of my biggest fears was always, like, I don't want to make huge mistakes and really be upset with myself racing or look stupid and that kind of thing. And so we worked a lot on that. So, for instance, someone comes to you, like, if a rider comes to you you're working with and is like, hey, Jason, I'm scared of the first jump and crashing. Like, how do you, how do you handle that? How do you help them through that? Well, for me, it's, it, it starts with a perspective change. Um, one, I mean, we just process the heck out of that fear, right? And, and the truth is, like, I'm not making you race. Why are you racing? You know, like, that we, could, we can solve the problem of your fear right away. Don't race. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't, don't get on the game. Right? But so it, now it's like, okay, but I do want to race. But I'm scared. But I do want to race. But I'm scared. But I do want to race. But I'm scared. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, and, and, and by the way, like, I've walked up the back of the hill. I've been to the X Games. Like, I know what it's like to have my tail between my legs as I'm hitting a jump and be puckered <laughs> up. I get it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. not cool. You know, you're going off a lift and someone hit your back tire. Where'd that come from? Like, it's real. <clears throat> but, um, but the thing is, when, when you're fighting your fear, right? When you're fighting your fear, that's where, you're, where you've taken your eyes off the ball. You know, and the energy it takes to fight your fear is really the energy that you're leaking. You're like leaking power, right? You're a human. You're full of energy all the time. Whether it's negative or positive energy, you're full of it. The question is how you can use it. So if you're scared and you're using your energy to fight your fear or you're angry at yourself for being scared and fighting your fear versus taking the moments to focus on the task. And, and anything else you can do to just get backside, then then you're you're not gonna you know you're not gonna succeed if you're fighting your fear all the time. I mean, in the long run, because there's just too much energy, and you're taking away from from the actual job, which is go on red, right? Get backside, watch the inside of the fir- of the corner. Yeah, I think one of the best some of the best advice my sports psychologist gave me was because I think at times, like especially when I was younger, I'd either be like in the zone and feel really good or I'd feel really nervous and then not really know how to handle that. And so one of the things my sports psychologist told me was it's not how you feel, it's what you do. So even if you feel anxious, nervous, whatever, just focus on what you have to focus on. And it's cliche, but it kind of made me think like, yeah, that's right. Like who cares if I'm feeling super anxious and stuff, that's fine. And I expect to be nervous at races because I always do, but I just go back to what I need to focus on. And yeah, I might be shaky or super nervous, but that way I can still have something to focus on and know that, I can still deliver my performance even if I feel really nervous. Whereas in the past, I felt like, especially when I was younger, if I felt really nervous, it was kind of a mess, you know? Yeah. I mean, think about this way. Would you, how would you feel if you went to, if you didn't feel anything? You'd be a robot. We're meant to feel, the, we're meant to feel these emotions is one thing <laughs> that I learned. is like we're human. Some of yeah. us feel anxious more or whatever, but they're all, we're all meant to feel these emotions even if they're uncomfortable. I say to every one of my clients, I say, you know, I say it in seminars, what I say, I'm never going to ask you not to be human. Yeah. Now, it, like, if you want to be a robot, if you want to be an automaton, like, I'm not the person for you. Like, yeah. I, like it's actually your humanness that put that will put you over the top. Yeah. Like, like, being human is, like, super powerful. 
we just don't always recognize it. And that's 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 another one of my favorite things is like helping people plug into their own personal power, right? Like recognizing that you can have this idea or this thought in your head and then all of a sudden like it starts to become this real thing that's like you're actually touching, tasting, smelling, and feeling. It's It's a trip. And stuff's going to happen. You're going to be scared. You're going to be fearful. You're going to be happy. You're going to be sad. You're going to be all of that stuff, right? So if you start creating rigid rules that say, I have to feel X to do X, and that becomes like your your premise, your your decision tree, then you're not leaving your much, yourself much room for success, right? Like I, I, would lo- I would love to win every lap start to finish, but guess what? If someone said to me, hey, dude, you're going to win the Olympics. I'm not going to go to race, but you're going to win the Olympics. You're going to win the world championships, the vet world championships. <laughs> but, but you know, but you're not, you know, you, it's, you're going to come from eight, eighth to do it or it's, or you're going to go through the whole day and not win one lap until the main event. Like, I mean, I'm pretty sure, like if I said that to any athlete out there, you're going to win whatever it is you want to win, but it won't feel like it. But I, but I promise you, you'll win. If I said that with the promise and guarantee, you'd be like, cool, I got it. <laughs> right. Then, then you wouldn't feel so bad that your gates were, were rough in the motos. Then you wouldn't then you wouldn't be overthinking like, you know, how you're taking the first jump. But yeah. for, but right because we've kind of there's that guarantee there. But the truth is like, you know, you got you want to give yourself as many ways to win as possible. And all that is is just changing the rules in your brain. Yeah. And, I- and the, the thing is like we have we have very hard rules that we like are conscious about, and then we also have what I would call like discrete rules and those discrete rules, those are the ones that kick us in the ass because we're not always aware for them, aware of them, but they come up all the time. Right. That's, that's like, how do you think superstitions start? Right. Man on Valentino with the heart socks. I love them. Don't get me wrong. And I want her to wear those. If she feels great wearing those socks, good for her. Um, but, but the thing is like, that's, that, that's a, that's a rule to a certain degree, a little more fun, a little bit more. Um, uh, I, I think I would call it positive, but, but yeah, I mean, that's, we all have those kind of rules that happens, but when we get rigid about it, right? Like if she wakes up the next day and her socks shrank or there was a mouse in the room that ate a hole in it and she couldn't wear it, the question is, you know, would she be still, would she still be okay to race? I think she would, but if she were rigid about it, the answer would probably be no, right? And then there would be a problem. Yeah, I think a lot of the time as athletes in general, we focus a lot on how we feel because a lot of times people ask, oh, how you feel, how you feel, like coaches do a lot and it's yeah. like, at some point you're just going to say, fuck it, who cares if I'm tired, I'm anxious, whatever, um, and just go for it, whether it's life or sport or whatever and I think, um, oh, fuck, I was going to say something, I forgot what I was going to say. A lot of the times those are the days you end up having the best performance because yeah. you stop caring about how you feel. Like, yeah, you just go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, good example. And you get frustrated. I'll use, I'll a lot use of graph because he said he was sick this weekend. Yeah, you know, and he kind of just was like, ah, you know, he was it was a distraction. He didn't want to be sick. He obviously didn't feel good because he was sick, but he performed amazingly. I actually thought he was going to win given the lane choice on Sunday mm-hmm. that he could probably pull it out. Um, but um, you know, it, one thing about that though is you when you when you're kind of at that point, especially being sick, where where you literally are just like you can't fight it right can't fight being sick because it's like you accept it it's actually easier to just go do the thing it's like okay i'm sick but 
I can go on red every time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I yeah. can turn my pedals, right? Yeah. Like, and, and it's just that simple. Because you, you do all the training, you do all this prep, and it's like you're not going to forget how to ride your bike. Don't get me wrong. A person can be so sick that they can't ride and shouldn't, but you know what I'm saying. So, yeah. But we get caught up in our feelings all the time. We do. We, and I think and, a lot of the time we get frustrated. We feel a certain way instead of just being like, well, I feel this way, but I can do my thing. Right. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, like, you can feel... I say it again, I say it all the time. Like, well, let's look at it in the reverse, right? So how many times you've been feeling good, right? Practice is going great. Dropping fools on the second pedal. <laughs> like everything's good. And then you're then you're watching the main. So true. So true. Right? Yeah. So 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 same thing, right? Caught up in your feelings. Took your eye off the ball. It's like, no, you still might want to warm up. I know you're feeling good, but you still might want to go warm up. You still might want to go through your procedure. You still might want to, like, put your head down behind the gate. Take three deep breaths. Let's do that anyway. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, I agree. So, yeah, I think uh, those are really common among riders. And so, like, what do you... So you see a lot of racing from the outside now, especially as you're obviously a prominent guy in the industry and what you do and everything. What do you see that you know, riders going to races or at races, what's a kind of a common mental error or um, misfocus that you typically see? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I got to tell you, I'm really impressed with most everyone, to be honest with you. That's cool to hear. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm really impressed with most everyone. I think, I think, I don't know if it's a common mental error, but I think a common... You know what I'm going to say? I think a common mental mistake I think people make nowadays is this whole, like, I'm only a junior or I'm only 18. I'm new to the class. So, like, like you know what I mean? Like, like they have to somehow, like, wait to, like, start making mains or, or, mm. or being, being a force. Limiting themselves. Like, yeah, and I'm like... Like, and it's kind of like a thing. Like I see, I kind of see it in posts. I kind of see it like mm. it's like oh, I'm building. I'll, you know, like in two years I'll be. And I get it. Like, be optimistic. Be optimistic. I get. It. But it's like at the same time, like don't sell yourself short either. I mean, like, like rock up, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, get after, get after like, it. Because you know, the thing is, like, yeah. if, if you don't be, feel like you belong there, you ain't gonna belong there. Yeah. Um, and it's that's really one true. thing I can say as a. Uh, from when I was a pro, and I, and I know we weren't nearly going as fast as you guys are now. However, right, if we just kind of scale back, like, it, you know, me racing Gary Ellis and Pete Longkarevich was just as intimidating as, um, you know, a, a 17 or 18-year-old kid racing racing Nick Keeman and, and David Graff, right? But, but the question is, like, do you want to be in that main or not? <laughs> like, are you here to be in the main or not? Are you here to, are you here to develop? Because guess what? The developing's going to happen anyway. But at the race, it's like, are you here to race or not? Are you here to be in the main or not? And I feel like I feel like there's a lot of riders out there that have become really good at training and developing. And it's like, uh, let's, let's, let's be good at racing. Yeah, when are we going to put it together here, people? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's race. Yeah. Let's, let's get yeah. in the race. I mean I, was, I mean, I look at old videos of myself, and I look terrible. <laughs> like, I was not good on the bike. I mean, I, I'm way better on a bike now than I was in, in my early career. And I got a little bit better towards the end of my career, thank goodness, with the help of a French <laughs> person. But, PH. Um, but the only thing that got me through was just like, 
like my standard was just like get the main jay get that main get top three like that was my standard and that was also danny's standard and romero's standard and like you know wade boots's standard and tomas elia's standard and all of those guys like when they turned they immediately were like in the class does that make sense like it wasn't like this like big build-up it was like they turned pro and they were pro period yeah it wasn't like we were on this development plan right um even though we were right we're all developing but but that i think that's the biggest mistake it's like i look you might not be as strong you might not be as fast your times might not be as good i get that however you're still signed up right yeah yeah you're still raced get out there <laughs> so and, what are we gonna do get out there and compete yeah what are we gonna do yeah. because otherwise you know uh, you know you, you can count on one person blowing a gate possibly in the main you could you know dale holtz that's a pretty pretty brilliant uh years ago but he just kind of he was like oh no it was, it was willers uh, and it was so smart uh, and i i was finished racing but he, his his logic was like you know especially being on the gate he's like ah, eh, i always figure i could snap I, he said i always figure i can cut at least one person off like, <laughs> i like it that's for, but i mean it wasn't about the other person but he was just like look there's you know a person on the other side of me if i'm not in lane one or eight chances are good i'll beat one of those guys out that's all i need it's true it's true yeah right like just just kind of like created a different paradigm shift for here right like not i have to get the best gate not so you know so it's like ah i could probably be one person out like just on some <laughs> like relaxed like let's go i like that i like that a lot actually well about yourself then jason now that you have had a little more experience with the psychology side of things would you change change your approach um back in the day if you had this knowledge now or the knowledge that you do now of course of course of course <laughs> um can i say of course again <laughs> i mean yeah i would too like if i could go back yeah. to my younger self of course. Yeah, i would too I, there, there was times where i set my my uh my standard too low uh, not my standard too low. There's time I re- at times I released the pressure valve too early. Uh, I released the pressure valve too early in Volkenslard 2004. I released the pressure valve. Oh no! no. I, yeah, that's when I released the pressure valve too. And what I mean by that is, I, like every time I went to the worlds, I wanted to win the worlds. Um, hence, why I have a pretty decent record of making world event, world made events. Um, but, but what my my fatal flaw was. My, I would release the pressure valve after the semi. So like I would get to the main and then I would let myself relax and go, okay, I'm here. And the truth was I wasn't because I wanted to win that race, right? So kind of like like letting, like, like actually like releasing that pressure valve and like saying, oh, okay, finally I made it, I'm here. Whatever happens, happens. It's like, no, like that's like, that was like a bullshit thing for me to say to myself. Right, so because the truth was like I was performing with the pressure all day, and 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 really the job wouldn't be done, especially if I was there to win it, until I won. Mm-hmm. So, so that was that was something I could I I would do differently, and I learned it at the Pan Am Games, and like I, I actually uh, talk about that on stage sometimes about the pressure and like like being up on the gate, like feeling like, you know, like like recognizing like feel like a fist pushing through this bag and the bag's getting tighter and tighter like but but that's the deal like the job wasn't over until i won period like because that's what i wanted but you have to own that and it's and that's a hard thing to do because there's pressure 
right? So that's accepting feeling nervous. That's accepting feeling scared. That's accepting the fact that you actually might fail. Like it's all of that, right? But do you want it or not? That's the question. And so the, so the deal is like, are you going to answer that? So that's one thing. Another thing I would, I would have done differently, really, from not from a mental aspect. Well, yeah, I guess it was mental. It was like towards the end of my career, I was training a lot. Mm. And I was probably going above and beyond um, the things that I needed to do. Um, I had so much base. I was so strong. Um, I, I probably could have personally, like my last year, got it, gotten away with like, you know, minimal gym stuff, probably just like basic recall stuff, a decent sprint program and gotten and more rest. Yeah. That's probably, that's probably the biggest thing that I, I didn't give myself was enough rest. Um, because those times were, where it did line up, I, I was ridiculous. And that, but, but I spent a lot of those that, you know, the last year, year and a half just struggling because I just was like, not pipey. Um, but I was just working hard. Like I was like five days a week doing something. Thinking, you know, thinking I needed to do more or thinking I was lazy, right? So that's the mental aspect of it. Hmm. Yeah. So I think that's so pretty yeah. I think that's pretty common, yeah. Yeah. Everybody thinks that they can do more, they'll be better. Well, James, should we go to the quick shots? Yeah, let's move on. Quick shot question segment. Jason, are you familiar with the quick shots? Quick shots, familiar with the quick shots. I saw some of the questions online as well, so Right on. Ask me anything, I'm dumb enough to answer. <laughs> All right, so how about it? Go, James. All right, Start from uh, Jens Linder. If you could change one thing immediately to improve the sport of BMX racing, what would it be? Mm. I like it. <laughs> That's a hard one after that. I like it. <laughs> it's a huge change, but I'll say it. And I'm going to get lit up, get rid of the 20-inch. Oh, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Get rid of the 20-inch. Yeah. Okay, it's yeah. a quick shot, yeah. but, but do tell. Uh, what would you change it I, to? I think hardtail twenty sixes. Um, I think I think you could actually ride bigger, better, and longer tracks with that. I think at that point you will appeal to an adult crowd. I think at that point you'll have legitimate bike companies that can actually make the bikes you ride that people care about involved in the sport. I think you can merge with other events, pump track or mountain bike, um, and I think that you'll have decision makers who write checks be interested in what you do again i don't i don't think you're wrong to be honest and and i think and i also think honestly it just will look better in pictures and on camera i think it would have because appeal more. Nick, Keeman, nick Keeman is a beast like that dude like i'm so glad i don't race now <laughs> but but like you know what i mean like and, and don't get me wrong, like, I know BMX, so I, I think you guys look amazing. However, if I step out of it and I look at a six foot one, 200 pound, you know, 8% body fat person on that bike versus like, you know, a whatever, it looks a little funny. It just does. The mm -hmm. seats, you know what I mean? It just, mm -hmm. and then again, I can't relate to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong. Um, at James Palmer 66, how fun is it figuring out how to pronounce people's exotic names in plain old English? It's fun and tiring, and I apologize <laughs> in advance if I messed up the names. I do, um, I do ask, I've asked, like, during the years prior if I mess up in the broadcast, so, like, 
Instagram me or, or let me know how to pronounce it. That is something I would like as a phonetic spelling for some of the names. Uh, that's difficult to do. I get that. I, I try to ask people, um, you know, I try to ask people when, when I see them. Um, uh, Houseman, Ruby Houseman actually came and said, oh, you do it this way. You do it this way. I was like, okay, cool. So, so yeah. And then sometimes what really sucks is like when I think I'm doing it right, it's like, like, like Villegas, like, you know, he's from Argentina, he speaks Spanish, so I'm, so I'm saying Villegas. And they're like, no, it's Villegas. Like, uh, <laughs> you got to like, dumb it down a little so, bit. Sometimes. So that's the other thing. It's, it, you know, it's also how the person actually pronounces the name. So um, it's fun, but at the same time, a bit tiring because it's, it's, uh, it can be difficult. My favorites, though, are the um, Thailand names because they're, they're, they're odd in that I don't know anything about that language like i've heard dutch i've heard german i've heard french so i kind of at least understand the accent and the intonation but i don't know what thai really sounds like or where you know where the accent is or where the diphthong is or anything like that and then the names are just like like there's this one named kits kitswanasakian <laughs> it's it's my favorite name kitswanasakian <laughs> badass yeah Oh, incredible. All right, next one from at BMX Commentator. Will you get the signatures you need to reclassify as an amateur for one or two races this year, or will the 41 to 45 expert cruiser class poop their pants and not let you play? <laughs> I don't know if they'll poop my pants because I don't think I'm that fast uh, right now. I've not, I haven't gotten gates in a very long time, and I'm riding a 26-inch bike, so, uh, so I don't know, but I... <laughs> And the other thing is because I want to race my local track in New Jersey. They're having a national EHT BMX. Shout out EHT BMX is where I started racing. Um, and I'm having a national there. So if I feel like if I go there and get signatures to race cruiser, not all the people I need signatures from will be there because apparently I need like the top three and the top – I need top, I need three people from the top ten in that class. Crazy. So I have to like do like a DocuSign thing and send it off. So that – so the admin to reclassify is actually quite egregious, but uh, we'll see. If if you see me racing, I got the signatures. If not, then not. But I hope uh, uh, I hope some people will sign it. At uh, I'm not signing it. You're racing vet. Don't be a wimp. At Augie BMX Mountain Bike L Vet Pro Comeback. No, no Vet Pro Comeback. Uh, I have uh, no Vet Pro Comeback. I race Vet. I don't know, not last summer, two summers ago, I think. The best the best I did was two, a second play. I got disqualified one moto because I cased the jump foot pro set at South Park, so I pull off, I did a transfer and they DQ'd me. Um, so I got a second and third. Yeah, the only person I haven't beaten in Vet Pro is Christian Bessermine. Uh, and I'm, I'm proud of that. <laughs> I'll take that. I mean, you've raced, um, you've raced them enough in Elite. Yeah. I've raced them enough in Elite. I, like, the, the best I ever did was like my... My front wheel was like by his crank set, like one time uh, down the first straightaway. But that's pretty good, I think. I mean, you know, He's a horse. Uh, I'm definitely not there to like care about my title or getting, a, you know, like I want to do well and race well. But like, honestly, like I remember like one of my first vet races back, I was like, okay, like before the main, it was like three mains. And he's like, check it out. If you want to pass me, just let me know. You can do it. Like, I'm not here, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't care that much. Like, I, I'm really here to have fun and just get some snaps on. <laughs> so, if it's clean, I'll do it. If not, like, yeah. 
I'll, I'll probably be more angry with you for crashing me for some stupid, yeah, you know, me. second or third place. But, uh, so no. no, no, no. <laughs> All right. uh, from at Dean Reeves 21. How is watching and learning from the World Cups you commentate change your view on of the sport? Uh, how has it changed my view of the sport? I think it's enhanced my view of the sport. Um, right. and, and I actually like the respect I have for the level of riding there is like it is absolutely ridiculous how good everyone is it really is it, yeah um, true that it it, it, it it oh my gosh you know it is so ridiculous and it's unfortunate that only eight people can fit on a gate um like you take downhill world cup mountain biking like you know top 20 I mean one they put five people on the podium two like top 20 is like the legit day like straight up, you had mm-hmm. a great day. Um, for some guys, not so much, but for a lot of the people, like if you get like you got a top twenty in the World Cup TH, like you're good. You're like sponsored the next year. It's good, <laughs> um, and you did well. And 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 in truth, like you make the semi at the World Cup. That's <laughs> that's an amazing feat. However, in BMX, it's all about making the main, right? And yeah. and then once you get to the main, it's like all about being on the podium. So it's like. It's just a shame only eight people fit on the gate because um, it's so, so deep. Uh, yeah, I don't know if my views change, though. I mean, it, at the end of the day, it's still like, you know, top four better, <laughs> pedal hard. <laughs> I, got a, I got a quick yes or no two, question. Two, two. Quick yes or no. Should we have a five-man podium? Yeah, fuck that. Okay, just making sure. Yeah, no, fuck that. No, I'm actually, I don't think mountain bike should either. Yeah, I think it's, I think I think it's, it's dumb. Yeah. yeah, I think it's dumb. Yeah. Um, at max maximal advantage, right on. Good name. <laughs> <laughs> Formula One commentators talk a lot about individual car setups and strategies, which makes F, which makes boring F1 racing quite entertaining. First of all, you bite your tongue. F1 is awesome. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, do you think discussing bike setups and strategies for gate choice and obstacle navigation will make World Cup coverage more entertaining? If yes, do you plan to do it in the near future? Um, will question. it make it more entertaining? I think it could go either way. Um, you can, it, it's, it depends how it's done. If you, if you have the camera there and you're showing the differences between the bikes and the setup, maybe showing the difference between a bike you would see in a bike shop or even at a Walmart and showing the difference of the setup, sure, because there's some learning there. But if you're just talking about Alfredo Campo's ridiculously long bike and, ha- and handlebar angle, it's not going to mean anything to someone who does who's not in the know. So that's the other thing. Like, like a lot of the people who, because um, you know, we're hypercritical of our sport because we're in it, but we also want to recognize, like, if someone happens across this broadcast who's not from the sport, right? How do you keep them engaged and how do you draw them in? So I think the tech stuff is great, like talking about gears, talking about the evolution of the products and stuff like that. But to me, it would be best if it's done in a way to where you're educating the person watching it um, as if as if that person, you know, may not be as deep into the sport. Yeah, fair enough. All right, next one from at MP112. He says, I want to hear about the broken backstory from Victoria Worlds. What happened? What was the injury? And how did the rehab go? So, um, back in the day, in the 80s, there was a show called ABC Wide World of Sports. And it would begin with the dramatic music and all these different sport clips. And it would talk about the thrill of, uh, uh, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And the reason why I say that is because 
The week before, I'd won the Pan Am Games. The thrill of victory. <laughs> then I'd go into the world feeling pretty confident. Feeling confident, right? Mm-hmm. Um, doing okay. And I remember uh, thinking, all right, get a top three here too. Why not? <laughs> let's, let's keep it rolling. Anyway, so I get to the Worlds, and this is in Victoria, 2007. Um, I got an okay gate. I was on the outside. Christian whole shot in the first corner. Big surprise. Um, and I was starting to catch him down the second straight because he doesn't carry as much track speed. <laughs> he knows this. <laughs> but anyways, um, starting to catch him. Um, but either way, he was in front. So I kind of, I didn't jump the triple board in the second corner. That's my bad. Um, so I didn't have as much momentum going in the second corner. Meanwhile, Graves pulls up on me. And, and you know now I'm getting swarmed by people. And so now I'm like, man, I went from like second to like third-ish, fourth-ish. Um, in a, in a qualifier, it's not a moto. And then Arnaud Dubois is coming up on me. And I don't know if you don't who, remember who he is. He's yep. from Belgium. He was crazy good, like on rhythm sections. Like he had, he was one of those skills guys. Could always finish strong. And so he was behind me and I was just going down that last straight, like way riding over my head and, um, and just crashed, landed on my back, broke my back. Mm. It's called the transverse process fracture. L1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Um, mm. And yeah, I was done. Went, 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 <laughs> went, got carted off in a stretcher, ambulance ride to a hospital. Uh, there may be a Canadian healthcare system. It is not for Americans. I got a bill. Um, <laughs> but the, the rehab was funny because I, it was kind of like having broken ribs. It was a waiting game. And then I actually ended up going to the NBO grants that year, which was in September, early September, uh, making the elite final there. But, um, but yeah, they, they, we were we were thinking I wouldn't race for like three or four months, but it actually ended up healing okay. Uh, that said, uh, you know, I had my leg injury, and then you know, so so the injuries add up. So um, you know, there there were some times um, where my back would go out, so to speak. Uh, now though, uh, you know, learned how to take care of all that stuff too. So now and train better and smarter, so I don't have those issues as much. But um, but that was that. That was back hmm. injury. At Jens Linder, what are the three limiting factors that keep the sport of BMX from a bigger growth? Hmm. Big question. Uh, I don't know if there's only three. I think there's several things. I think that we're competing uh, a lot bigger growth. Growth isn't more people doing it, I'm going to say. Um, yeah, or just in general, I think, probably. I, yeah, I think in the U.S., I'll speak to the U.S., because I, I think it, it's somewhat healthy in Europe. Um, given this type of sport it is, I think it's just not, it's, it's hard to do. It's hard to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't even say cost because I can tell you parents spend money on things their kids want to do, especially if the parents are into it. True. Especially if the parents are into it. I repeat, especially <laughs> if the parents are into it. Right? Yeah. So it's easy. Um, and, I, and I say that because my kid owns a mountain bike. My other kid, you know, both my kids own mountain bikes, mm-hmm. right? They don't own BMX bikes. They did. They did. But the reason why they own mountain bikes is because we can go to a trailhead four, mile, four miles from my house and go ride. Yeah. But going to the BMX track is difficult for us. And that's like, I'm deep in the sport. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's not as appealing as other sports. Because, like, when you go to the track, 
you have to ride the track one way. There's a bunch of parents there telling you what to do and how to do it. There's no instruction there. So, like, if you are 12 or 13 and you go to the track, some eight expert who does go to the Nationals is kicking your butt, you know, out of the gate, making you look stupid. So, <laughs> there's, like, all these things. There's, like, lack of instruction. There's lack of accessibility. I'm not even going to say cost because, I'm honestly, like, every, there's a lot of stuff that's expensive. And, 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 I, and in my opinion, bikes have gotten cheaper. Um, you know, like, like, like to have a whatever GT in the 80s that was, like, a race national level race bike was really expensive and so if you account for like in inflation and everything bikes have like really the price has gone down mm -hmm. um, so I'm not going to say cost is an issue it's really just like accessibility like getting the track yeah fair enough at wait oh is this your question or mine uh, I'm up okay go from at Eddie Clarte do you really think everything happens for a reason I don't know what he's do referring think, to do I think everything happens for a reason I think it's easy to say that after the fact I do think Lately, I think I've been thinking there really are no coincidences. There's like maybe like 10 to 15% coincidences. Everything else I do think there's like probably like, there, yeah, there's no coincidences. I mean, I get kind of like on a little existential, spiritual, metaphysical plane here, but, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think there's, I think there's reasons why we, or we create reasons, but, <laughs> but there's still <laughs> reasons. So I don't know if it happens for a reason, but, um. I don't know about everything, but I'll say that that I'm starting to think there there are coincidences. I'll put it that way. Hugo Oliveira, fifty one. What is the most important thing you've seen in BMX the whole time? I'm not exactly sure what it means. Hmm. The most important thing. The relationships created. Ah, good one. Good one. Yeah, yeah. really good. Good one. Uh, from at Quillian164, he says, your top three most memorable moments in BMX, both as an athlete and a spectator, or I guess as a psychologist. How about that, too? Okay. As an athlete, as an athlete, uh, uh, <laughs> both winning and losing the world championships in one day in 1994, uh, like racing the worlds and winning cruiser and then like going up for my 20 inch main it's like not like having like just won a world championship and like oh like trying to manage that mm -hmm. <laughs> so that was pretty funny like i remember like That'd coming out of the gate and, and cruiser going i'm winning the worlds like out of the first turn i'm winning the worlds and then i remember coming out of the first turn in 20 inch, like, damn i'm losing the world <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty trippy like in one day um it's just, and it was memorable because it was, it was a goal and it was like, check, done it. Um, so that was cool. Uh, and they say Cruiser doesn't count, um, but the truth is, I got a jersey for it and um, it counts. And it definitely counts now, having uh, been, you know, ages away. So that one, Pan Am Games, that's definitely memorable because that was like, ultimately the last shot I had at, at you know, kind of putting my name in a record book, so to speak. So that was cool. Um, the other thing is just the whole experience, like, like looking, like all of it, like just the whole thing was just unreal. Um, and the cool thing about it being unreal is that it was like totally real. Like that, like that, that whole experience is like literally the basis for what I do now. Like I literally like, dude, I raced BMX and I was on stage at the NFL Players Association as a BMXer. Like, that's pretty cool. Do you know what I'm saying? That's pretty like, cool. That's, that 
is gnarly, right? Like my BMX experience, like there's like a, a group of professional doctors with million dollar practices. I'm their coach. You see what I'm saying? Like that's like, but, yeah. to me, that's, that's, yeah, that's mind blowing. Like if someone would have told you that when you were a kid, you probably would have yeah, been like, Oh and, my God. That's not like, that's not like me. Like that's BMX. Like that's pulling up to the track and just being like, I'm not paying for parking. That's like, that's fighting to get to the first turn for first. That's threading a needle over the pro section. That's, you know, lunging at the finish line. That's all of that. That's getting injured and coming back. Like all of that stuff is just like, just making money as a kid and buying a house and driving a Range Rover, right? As an athlete, that's like having cans of Red Bull just like show up at your house and free stuff. Like all of that stuff, right? Traveling the world, like just totally unencumbered. Like all of that stuff is just like so hugely insanely valuable um yeah it's just too memorable as a coach as a as you know work with athletes um it would be going to the worlds in birmingham and having the two people the three people i were working with one made the main got into the olympic trials and the other two secured their olympic births i think that's pretty cool um working i'd say most memorable working with justin posey um and him coming back from that horrific mm. train wreck of a crash and seeing him get to the Olympic final, like literally being one lap away from making the Olympic team. Like I just, I just laid on the, I, like after the whole thing was done, like I just laid on the ground and cried. Wow. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. I, it was just so, you know, and just the yeah. whole thing, like just watching like everyone perform at such a high level, like with such heart, like I was proud of everyone, but, but just working with that. Um, so, and, and you know, and, and then I guess the other, thing that's I guess memorable is just allow you know the, the fact that um, these riders you guys like allow me into your life to like help you um, not that you and I work together but but just you know these these riders that that, that, that come to me or you know that, that we, our paths cross and then they, they yeah they allow me in their lives to help them do this thing this thing that I used to do and this thing that like I know they want to do it's just uh, it's overwhelming yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Um, at Connor Hedges, what should you do in the lead up to a race to ensure being mentally strong? Uh, re-listen to this podcast. <laughs> I, I would agree. I yeah. would agree. <laughs> All right, last one from Jens Linder. What are the two most essential things BMX as a whole needs to work on in order to increase media reach and to attract more kids to riding and racing BMX? Um, well, I think, again, I'll speak more media reach, whoa, whoa. <laughs> that's a hard one, because media nowadays is, is, uh, is us, mm -hmm. is us, um, so I think, I think a lot more stories, not like Instagram stories, but really like stories, like really compelling stories, to use a word that Justin Costum uses, um, I think fostering relationships with um, other partners, um, whether they're in the sport or out of the sport, would help. Um, I think partnering with, with other disciplines that are, are complementary would help. Um, I think getting away from racing would help. Um, I think, you know, kind of having a few 
bike events that are not, I mean, yeah, there's a race, but it's more about the event. There's food and there's music and there's games and there's, you know, shenanigans going on and a jump contest and, a, you know, like, like just, just spicing it up a little bit. But, uh, you know, I, I like that idea. And, then, and again, it's a really good idea. Stories around that. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Well, Jay Rich, that's all we've got for us, for you today. Thanks so much for coming on. If someone would have told me when I was a kid and when you first came up to my race at my local track when I was like 13 that you'd be on our podcast, I wouldn't have believed him. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, would you have even known what a podcast was? No, but I would have been excited. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool. It's cool. It's, it's fun to watch you guys grow up. Um, you know, see you guys be go from grobs to like pros to, to dare I say seasoned seasoned professionals. Um, yeah, so thanks for having me on the, on the chatter anytime. Yeah, I love the I love our talk about the psychology side of things. I think it's awesome what you do and keep doing it. I really like it. I think it's awesome what you're doing. Yeah, thank you. Have a safe trip home, man. We'll uh, we'll see yeah, you soon. I appreciate you guys making making the time to do this on on my layover. That's so. that's what we do at Coffee Chatter, bro. That's what we do. <laughs> that's what we do. Oh, also, may I ask? I gotta ask. Yep. Why coffee chatter? Because well, people won't know this is a BMX podcast. That was kind of the whole idea, is because we want we didn't want to name it something BMX related because obviously we're still fairly new and we've done all BMX people, but like I know a lot of other Olympians and other sports oh, and that kind of okay. thing. So we want to okay. we want to eventually do like mountain bike or like I know a lot of Olympians and other sports, like I said. So we don't want to limit it to BMX because we want to be able to interview those people as well. Ah, so it's not just to be a nah, I get it. Yeah, you got it. And I mean, let's All be right. let's be real. We love coffee, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. Might, might, might help for the SEO. Exactly. <laughs> All right, man. I gotta get on the plane. I appreciate it. Take care. And, uh, yeah, be good. See you at the next event. Yep. See you, Jay Rich. Later. Peace. Doctor Jay Rich. Doctor. Hell of a guy. Very knowledgeable. It was, it was really like inter- interesting to hear about all the psychology side of things because that's something that. I have no experience in at all. Yeah. So. Yeah. I've done a lot of work in that area. I think it's so fascinating. I loved it. Yeah. 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 It really is to just to hear kind of the things that he works to with other riders on. Yeah. I can very much understand. Some of them don't, I feel like don't apply to me, but really interesting. Yeah. I really like Jay Rich. He's a very intelligent guy. Mm-hmm. Very well educated. It's cool. He's, he's obviously really accomplished in BMX. He was on the podium and won a lot of races, won a Pan Am gold, won a cruiser world championship. And, um, it's cool. Like I think it's cool to see a top pro like that be really well educated and then give back to people in the sport and stuff. Like he's an impressive guy. Yeah, I think he's kind of remade a name for himself as someone different in the sport because like I don't. There's probably a lot of people that don't know him as much from the BMX racing days, especially the younger guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But they probably know him from the commentating, yeah. the working with athletes as a psychologist, yeah. that kind of thing. Because like I remember watching him as a double A when I was a kid. He came to Ridge Meadows. Yeah, he came to he came to our home track, Ridge Meadows, when, when I was like 13. All I remember, I'm pretty sure he's riding Croupy. Well, right? I might have been like 11 or 12. I was young. Yeah, I yeah. might have been. I don't remember yeah. anything, but I'm pretty sure he rode Croupy yeah. or something. Him, Big C, and Dwyer. Well, uh, yeah, Dwyer. Yeah, 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 that's cool. So man, it's funny, like. Someone would have told me, yeah, he'd be on your podcast. I'm like, no way. No fucking no way. way. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty yeah, cool. That's super cool. Yeah. yeah. I Yeah, he's an awesome guy. Really cool to hear from. Yeah, it was cool. Um, so we talked about a rant earlier. So someone just DM'd Coffee Chatter. Let's, let's read the DM. Get, read the rant. One sec. Okay, While so you do that, I have, I have a public service announcement as well. Okay. I ahead. put my name forward for that thing to go test the Tokyo track whenever it's ready, like the test riders. I'm number 10 on the list, and there's three Russians before me. Okay, these people need to drop out so I can They go. drew names for it, apparently. <laughs> I know, they did. Yeah. It was yeah. completely random, but yeah. I'm just telling anybody that's in the top 10, 
drop out so I can Which I think is dumb to draw names. You need to pick riders that are actually good at doing it, like yourself. Sure, but I know they have to make it fair. Okay, so this... Anyways, all right, the rant. This rant's got... This guy went kind of savage, so I'm just going to read it word for word. I'm not going to say his account, but I'm just going to read it word for word. All right? Okay, go for it. Here it comes. All right. You asked for rant topics. Talk about how horrible it looks when riders don't have matching national team kit at the World Cup races. Cam Larson had teal and yellow pants and a helmet with a lot of yellow and his dark blue U.S. jersey. He wasn't the only one. Is the sport so janky we can't come up with matching kits for what's supposed to be the biggest races in the world? <laughs> Boy. Well, he was very, you know, straight to the point with that. Tell one. us how you feel, bro. Yeah. Um, I guess short short answer, sense. yes, our sport is that janky. <laughs> it really is. Most people just have kits for their sponsor stuff and just kind of run with it for the World Cups. Yeah, if you're lucky, you have a sponsor that's able to get you a couple more pairs of pants. Like stuff with answer and stuff, we get pants for our Canada, to match our Canada jerseys. Yeah. I would assume Cam could get stuff for his U.S. jersey. Yeah, but I mean, at the end, I kind of like the neon pants with the neon helmet combo. I was going to say, I think it looks good. Yeah, I wear, sometimes I run a neon helmet just because yeah. it stands out. I was going to say, obviously, he... He feels very strongly about he. He individualizes like it. Cam, but I thought Cam's. I think the bright stuff is kind of cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I, I get what he's saying. Like some stuff doesn't look good with the country, so we we can do it. We can get pants that match Canada stuff, like I said. But some people just can't. Yeah. So short answer: yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> it is janky, but yes, that, that is our. Sport. Some of us can't. Some of us can't. But yeah. You know what we should do? I just realized, thought of. We What's should just that? ask people for what they want us to rant about, or we should get people to send in rants. Yeah, we should get people to say rants. Yeah, no, we should get people to say sometimes rants, and we'll read them off on air word for word, whatever they say. Fair enough. New segment of the show. The rant section is going to be strictly by our guests. And if we think about it, we can go for it. But we could do it like people could send them in and we could read them off too. That'd be fun. Yeah, that's fair. Um, anything else? Uh, oh, we got just got some, let's put a shout out out there. We're going to Alberta this weekend. Oh, yeah, Edmonton, Edmonton BMX. Edmonton yeah. BMX for camp this weekend. Yeah, we're going to be out there all weekend. There's some coaching camp. So if you're in the area, the camp's already booked. But come by and say hi. Yeah, come by <laughs> and say hi. But yeah, we're starting to go to Edmonton BMX this weekend. So thanks yeah. for everyone that signed up. Uh, we look forward to seeing you this weekend. Hopefully, they have a uh, pro gate running nice and fast. Nice and fast, baby. That's nice. what we like. <laughs> um, anything else? You good? I think that's it. All right. Till next week, bro. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you, everyone.